Some people uh, say that I am easily distracted. I like to think of myself as just hyper aware. <laughs> so uh, when I sat uh, down at a coffee shop on a Monday morning sometime this past spring, I think it was at Starbucks, and I noticed that there were uh, two young adult women sitting at the table next to me, both with their Bibles open. I was hyper aware, particularly as a minister. I wondered, like, what in the world could these two people be discussing at a Starbucks on a Monday morning with their Bibles open? So I did what you do when you want to eavesdrop on your neighbors at the coffee shop. <laughs> I just took out one of my earbuds. <laughs> and I sort of leaned over this way. And I began to listen. It seemed that uh, one of the young women was a, a longtime person of faith. And her friend was new to the faith. And they were having a conversation on what it meant to be a Christian. And the young woman who was new to the faith had all kinds of questions for her friend who had been a Christian for a really long time. Questions like, but if God loves me, doesn't that mean that God loves everyone? Questions like, does everything really happen for a reason then? Questions like, what, am I supposed to really love the people that hurt me? Am I really supposed to care for the poor? I mean, like at what point can you just say no? And the woman who had been a Christian for a very long time guided her friend through the scriptures, but when they arrived at some of those stickier questions, they did the most remarkable thing. They pulled out their cell phones and they Googled the questions. <laughs> and I have to tell you, as a casual observer, what they Googled led them deeper. It led them deeper in conversation and faith. We've all been there, haven't we? We get to a place uh, in our lives or in the world, uh, and, and we wonder what our faith has to say about our lives. Particularly when uh, the world or our lives overwhelm us. That's why some of you, uh, you stop me out in the atrium sometimes. You're a grandparent or you're a parent, and you'll say, you'll never believe what little Maggie asked me this week. This is what I told her. Is that right? We want to know what our faith has to say to some of the biggest questions the world has to throw at us. And so, for the next five weeks, together as a community of faith, we're going we're gonna to take on some of these sayings that we sort of settle on when the world and our lives overwhelm us. This week, we're going to start with that question. Does everything happen for a reason? That's a question uh, that we typically arrive at uh, when we are faced with great suffering or pain and we can't make sense of a loss. It's quite a question for our particular community because we've had quite the 12 weeks together. There are folks in our community who are literally walking the shadow of death right now. There are folks in our community and in their school communities who are trying to make sense of unexplainable loss. Parents who are reeling from the loss of children, a child. 
We have families in our community who have lost the matriarchs and the patriarchs. And so we're going to wrestle together with this question, does everything happen for a reason? What does our faith have to say? And so we're not going to turn to the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to turn to the book of Job. And we're going to turn to the first chapter, and we're going to read the first 20 verses. And as we, some of you turn there, let me say this. You may find this of interest. Uh, this particular portion of scripture that we're about to read from, scholars argue, is among the most ancient texts that are found in the Bible. Some scholars say that this portion of Job actually predates Judaism. Think about that. That um, the story that we're going to read from the book of Job was actually a tale told throughout all of Mesopotamia, which should tell us that people have been asking this question. Does everything happen for a reason? They've been asking that question for a really, really, really long time. So listen now. From the book of Job, listen to this story because I believe that there is something to be learned in this text. Listen because this story may just change your life and bring you light. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was honest. A person of absolute integrity, he feared God and avoided evil. He had seven sons and three daughters and owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 pairs of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a vast number of servants, so that he was greater than all the people of the East. Each of his sons hosted a feast in his own house on his birthday. They invited their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of the feast had been completed, Job would send word and purify his children. Getting up early in the morning, he prepared entirely burned offerings for each one of them. For Job thought, perhaps, perhaps my children have sinned and then cursed God in their hearts. Job did this regularly. But one day, the divine beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and the adversary also came among them. The Lord said to the adversary, Where did you come from? And the adversary answered the Lord, From wandering throughout the earth. The Lord said to the adversary, Have you thought about my servant Job? Surely there is no one like him on the earth, a man who is honest who is of absolute integrity, who reveres God and avoids evil. The adversary answered the Lord, Does Job revere God for nothing? Haven't you fenced him in his house and all he has and blessed the work of his hands so that his possessions extend throughout the earth? But stretch out your hand and strike all he has. He will certainly curse you to your face. The Lord said to the adversary, Look, all he has is within your power, only don't stretch out your hand against him. So the adversary left the Lord's presence. One day, Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. A messenger came to Job and said, Hey Job, the oxen were plowing. 
And the donkeys were grazing nearby when the Sabians took them and killed the young men with swords. I alone escaped to tell you. While this messenger was speaking, another arrived and said, Hey, Job, a raging fire fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and devoured the young men. I alone escaped to tell you. While this messenger was speaking, another arrived and said, Hey, Job, the Chaldeans set up three companies, raided the camels, and took them, killing the young men with swords. I alone escaped to tell you. While this messenger was still speaking, another messenger arrived and said, Hey, Job, Job, um, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking, man. They were in your oldest son's house when a strong wind came from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It fell upon the young people and they died. I alone escaped to tell you. Job uh, arose, he tore his clothes, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and he worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will return. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken. Naked, I will bless the Lord's name in all of this, Job, in all of this, Job did not sin or blame God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Remind us, O oh God, that you hover here. Remind us that you hover in this sanctuary and that you hover over our very lives. Remind us, O oh God, that you hover here and we're not alone. Remind us, O oh God, that through these words you will show us a new way, a different path in life. Remind us that you hover here and that you can bring hope and healing even to our world. Remind us that you hover here, O oh God, so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Does everything happen for a reason? Does everything happen for a reason? Which is a, another way of asking, does God cause suffering for some divine purpose that we are yet to understand? Does God cause suffering to try to teach us some cosmic lesson that we'll know in the fullness of time? Does everything happen for a reason? I was 15 when I, first faced, I was first faced with suffering through tragedy. Sure, I had experienced pain, loss, death, and heartbreak in my life before the age of 15. My parents divorced when I was 
25. I lost elderly family members, but it was when I was 15 when I experienced unspeakable tragedy. I grew up down the street from Kristen. We grew up together. In fact, in the fifth grade, I even got her a valentine, one of those small heart-shaped boxes of chocolate. There was a bumblebee right on the front, and it, the word said below, won't you be mine? <laughs> Super slick, I know. <laughs> Over the years, Kristen and I had become very close. We were in the same friend circle. We all hung out together after school and on the weekends. So when Kristen was diagnosed with bone cancer when we were in the eighth grade, well, naturally, we were devastated. How does one make sense of a 14-year-old getting bone cancer? Kristen went through the rounds and rounds and rounds of chemotherapy. But on November the 19th, 1996, in the house just down the street from mine, in her upstairs bedroom, the, the bedroom that faced the street, she took her final breath after a two-and-a-half-year journey with cancer. How does one make sense of a death like that? How does one make sense of a death of a child or a friend or a, a sister? What does our faith say about that kind of suffering? I got to tell you, at 15, I, I clung to the faint hope found in the statement that I had heard uttered throughout the generations. I guess everything just happens for a reason, I would say. Though I got to tell you, that statement felt half-baked, half-hoped, half have you ever felt that way when you've uttered those words? When you've tried to explain the unexplainable? To me, it sort of felt like I ate a protein bar on Thanksgiving instead of actually having the meal. But what are we to say in the face, the face of unimaginable tragedy, like the death of a, a sibling or a spouse? walked that long road of cancer themselves, who died far, far too young. What are we to say when, when, when we read of a young adult who collapsed for no apparent reason, leaving behind friends and family in a lifetime of possibilities? What are we to say? What are we to say when we lose one of our children? What are we to say when we take the newspaper out of the plastic wrap that it comes in and we open it and we read the headlines and there, right there on the front page is the news of senseless deaths across our, our city and our world every single day. What are we to do when we're faced with such tragedy? Especially when we feel like we're doing and have done everything right. We've done everything right. We raised them the right way. We come to church on Sunday. We say our prayers before me meals. Does everything really happen for a reason? 
Does God really cause the suffering in our lives and our world for some divine purpose that we just don't understand yet? I've learned over the years, when the suffering is too big in my life, when suffering is too big in the world, to listen. To listen to those who have spoken out of their unspeakable pain. To listen to those who have let their lives speak, those who have opened up their lives so that the divine can shine a light through their story, through their pain. Do you know our scriptures are full of stories like that? Stories of people who have suffered and who have a a story to share with us, a lesson to teach. Job is one of those characters. Job did everything right. Job was honest and pious and faithful, and Job had everything Job had uh, multiple houses, multiple club memberships, and Job always got his bonus. The text tells us Job had over 7,000 sheep, over 3,000 camels, 500 pairs of oxen. Job also had a great family. Seemingly, everyone in his house was healthy and on their way. Everyone was set to graduate on time and not move back home. Oh, man, Job had it all. Job had everything. And then, seemingly, one day, almost out of the blue, Job just lost it all. He lost his children when the wind blew their roof on top of them. He lost his business when someone stole all of his animals. Job went from having it all to sitting upon a heap of ash with his spouse. Some of you this morning are sitting on that heap, even as you listen to this sermon. And in the face of all of his loss, Job has a friend who comes over to tell him, Hey, hey, Job, brother, you know everything happens for a reason, man. There must be some sin in your life that you're not telling us about. There must be some sin in your family that you don't want anyone to know about. Because listen, brother, everything happens for a reason. Another one of Job's friends shows up and he said, Job, I I, I can't explain what happened to your business, but I guess God just needed a few more angels in heaven, man. Job, even in his suffering, Job, even in his suffering, was resolute in his faith of God. He believed in God's goodness, and he insisted that God was not the cause of his pain. Job's friends showed up and tried to explain Job's pain away. Rather than joining him in his pain, rather than joining him in his suffering, which, my dear friends the very best answer we can give when someone we love encounters tragedy. Let's don't try to explain their pain away. Let's join them in their pain and in their suffering, for that is where God shows up in the text, and that's where God showed up in Job's life, and Job trusted 
that. Job didn't agree with his friend's sentiments because Job believed in God's faithfulness, that God would not cause his pain. Job knew that God could not cause Job's pain because it went against the very nature of who God is, the very nature of, and character of God. Let me put it to you this way. It's like if you went home this afternoon and you were greeted by your puppy dog at the door and expected your puppy dog to meow like a cat. Your dog can't meow like a cat because it goes against the very nature of who a dog is. If God is divine and good and loving, it goes against the very nature and character of who God is to will evil, to cause pain, or to create suffering. Job trusted that. He trusted in the goodness of God. He didn't believe that God causes evil in the world. Rather, it's Job's trust of God's goodness in the world that gets Job through the darkest time in his life. In fact, in the Last chapter of Job, Job comes face to face with God and utters one of the most beautiful phrases in all of Scripture. Job says, God, I have heard of you. God, I have heard of you my whole life long. I have heard of your faithfulness throughout all generations, but it is through my suffering that I have come to see you. I've come to see you face to face and eye to eye. I have seen you walking through my suffering with me. Job's story is an ancient story. And most of us uh, don't know what it's like to lose 7,000 goats. But we do know what it's like to have unspeakable and unbearable pain. We know about pancreatic cancer diagnosis. We know of young people who die far too soon. We know of uh, car wrecks that kill children. We know the pain of a, of a broken marriage that just doesn't seem like it's going to get back on the right track. We know what it's like to lose a father or a mother. And I've come to believe, my dear friends, that the sufferings of our lives, while God does not cause those or will those, there is much to be learned from them. I believe that through our suffering, we are reminded of the faithfulness of God. I'm reminded of William Sloan Coffin, who's a hero of mine. Coffin was the pastor of the Riverside Church in New York City, the, the ca a cathedral in New York. Coffin was their senior pastor back in the late 70s and early 80s, and when he was preaching, that's back when ministers were still famous, and, and Coffin was among the most recognized names in all the country. When Coffin was preaching at Riverside, his son Alex one night uh, had had one too many beers after a tennis match. 
He hopped into the driver's seat of the car. Alex's best friend hopped into the passenger seat of the car, and off they went. The car steered right off the road and went right into the South Boston Channel shortly after midnight. Alex's best friend, they don't know how, but he was able to break the passenger side glass and swim out and get to safety. Alex wasn't near as lucky. He went all the way to the bottom of the channel. Ten days later, William Sloan Kaufman's climbed into the pulpit at the Riverside Church to conduct his son's memorial service. And he said these words. My dear friends, when a person dies, there are many things that can be said, and there is at least one thing that should never be said. The night after Alex died, I was sitting in the living room of my sister's house outside of Boston when the front door opened and in came a nice-looking middle-aged woman carrying 18 quiches. When she saw me, she just shook her head. And then she headed for the kitchen, saying sadly over her shoulder, just don't understand the will of God. But I guess everything happens for a reason. Often says, for some reason, nothing so infuriates me as the incapacity of seemingly intelligent people to get it through their heads that God doesn't go around this world with God's fingers on triggers, or God's hands and fists around knives, or God's hands on steering wheels. For our God is dead set against all unnatural deaths, and Christ spent an inordinate amount of time delivering people from paralysis, insanity, leprosy, and mutinous. My dear friends, the one thing that should never be said when someone dies is, is it the will of God? Never do we know enough to say that. My own conclusion And consolation lies in knowing that it was not the will of God that Alex die. But that when the waves closed over that sinking car, God's heart was the first of all of our hearts to break. God's heart was the first heart. Friends, if God's heart is the first to break in the tragedies of our lives, then no. No, I don't believe that everything happens for some reason that we have yet to understand. Yes, there is suffering in this world, that, and it's not fair, and it's certainly not just. Suffering and loss make no sense. The reality is we will all face it. But the promise of God that we know in scriptures, uh, the promise of God that we know in, in and through the story of Job is of a God who gets to the valley of death before we can get there. Of a God who gets to that valley and prepares God's self to catch us when we stumble blindly in.
so that our God can guide us through the dark, through the valley, so that God can grieve with us and weep for us, but much more than that, that God can dry our tears and create life out of death, hope out of despair, forgiving sin, and restore wholeness. My dear friends, our God is so committed to life that God sent God's only Son into the world so that death would not have the final say, that pain does not and will not have the final word, and that there will always be light in the midst of our darkness. Does everything happen for a reason? I don't think so. For our God is a God of promise. A promise to walk with us through every season. So that in the fullness of time, all of God's creation, all of God's people, will come to know the fullness of God's love and God's grace that has been there from the very beginning. Thanks be to God for a God like that. Thanks be to God for a promise that we can rest in. And thanks be to God for this community of faith. For that love is made manifest through you, through me, and through us as a community of faith. Let us pray. Thank you, O God. Thank you for the promise that you have given to your creation and to each and to every one of us. We pray that we will come to rest in that promise, that we will trust in its grace and mercy for our lives, so that we can show that promise to one another and to the world. For we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.